Hey there, Shelly. Have you heard about VanHack? Oh, you mean the HR tech sensation that's taking the recruitment world by storm? That's the one. VanHack is revolutionizing how companies find top talent globally. Imagine connecting with skilled professionals from all around the world without the hassle. Absolutely. VanHack has a great team and seamless technology where recruiters and companies can discover talent with ease. And they have a talent pool specifically curated for tech professionals. Tech savvy and globally connected, just what every company needs. VanHack offers tailored solutions for companies of all sizes, from startups to Fortune 500 giants. So if you're ready to take your recruitment game to the next level, join VanHack today. Yeah, visit VanHack and unlock a world of talent right at your fingertips. VanHack.com, where global recruitment meets simplicity. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. And Shelly, I'm pretty excited about this episode because we have someone from Scotland, not Nova Scotia, but actually <laughs> Scotland. So, Yeah, I think some of our Canadian listeners might think he sounds more like he comes from Newfoundland, but no. <laughs> It's true. All the way from Scotland, I am pleased to introduce Stephen O'Donnell, who's the Chief Growth Officer at TA Tech and the founder of Nora, which is the National Online Recruitment Awards. Stephen, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for coming. It's a real thrill to be here, coming all the way from old Scotia. Actually, that's one of the places that's on my next to visit list is Scotland. There's all these great period piece shows on Netflix talk about the history of the UK and Scotland. And it just seems like such an inspirational place to live. So there's a show that many list. Americans are watching called Outlander. And it's actually it's not yeah. on popular TV here, but I know it's enormous in the States and Canada. And I watch it all. So it's, it's very good. I just finished Outlander. I'm like, yeah, it's so good. So good. So I want to talk about Stephen. Okay. Stephen, can you share with the audience one of the things I know we're always curious about? Tell us about your journey into talent acquisition and bring us up to present day because I know it's a great story. Okay. Whenever anyone looks at my LinkedIn, they come away with a puzzled look on their face because they can't really tell what I do. My kids have real trouble telling their friends what I do or even knowing what I do because I do have fingers and lots of pies. But Before getting into recruitment as a teenager, I had three jobs that lined me up perfectly for a job in recruitment. The first was selling advertising in the local police in-house magazine, so I was doing telesales. The second one was selling cable TV door-to-door around Glasgow. And the third one was selling fax machines. And this is before fax machines were popular, and obviously they've long gone now. But gave me the ability to cold call, to speak with the members of the public, and to sell to businesses. I joined a recruitment agency age 21, And age 27, I started a recruitment agency, owned and ran a couple of recruitment agencies through the 90s and got into the technology side of things in 2000 when I launched a website called alljobsuk.com. That was essentially a portal to every single employer in the UK, every recruitment agency and tens of thousands of individual recruitment consultants so that candidates could find where jobs were being advertised. Out of that came the National Online Recruitment Awards, the NORAs. So they are now in their 23rd year. And I love recruitment. I love recruitment because I'm a born nosy parker. I love interviewing people. But 
turns out I love technology a little bit more. So I got drawn over to the dark side and did less and less recruitment. And I've not had a recruitment agency since 2010. And I've been involved in a whole range of different types of technology companies in that time. I really want to dig into All Jobs UK because you were the first aggregator before Indeed even really came into the play. I know it's a little bit different because you weren't aggregating the jobs. You were aggregating the sites that had the jobs. Yeah. But just curious, like what happened there? How did you come up with this ID? Well, I built a website for my agency in 99, and I was really pleased with it. I had stolen a website from <laughs> it's MRI International. There's a network yeah. of agencies in the US, and there was one yeah. in Fresno that had a fabulous website. And using Microsoft front page, I could download their website, change the logos, and then upload it to my domain. So I built my own website, and I was really pleased with it. And I thought there must be a, a directory of all of the recruitment firms out there that you can put your website address on. And the more I found that there wasn't, the more I realized that I had to do it. So I built All Jobs UK in, initially to be a list of all the agencies in the UK, what they did, what they specialized in, who the clients were and who the recruitment consultants were so that candidates would know who they should go and register with and where their websites were. Were you able to monetize that at any point? Yeah, well, it didn't make a big living. I narrowly missed out on selling it to a company who themselves went bust. But I did ultimately sell the site in 2007 for some money, but not crazy money. And mm -hmm. the site or the company that bought it were a jobs aggregator called OneJob. So that was in 2007. And for them, I designed the first Apple job search app in the UK. Wow. So now bring us up to present day in your current role as chief growth officer for TA Tech. Yeah. Or for the audience that doesn't really understand kind of what TA Tech does and their presence in the market. Absolutely. So a better name would be Tech for TA. So there are no TA members in TA Tech, or there are very few, to be honest. TA Tech is like an industry body for technology companies in the recruitment space. Initially started 15 years ago just for job boards, but then aggregators and then programmatic advertising companies and then all of the other technologies. And, and the reason for that is all of these technologies integrate with each other. All of the TA technologies that exist out there can be members of TA Tech, and uh, the people who are most active in TA Tech are the founders and CEOs of technology companies coming together at our events or our, our virtual events and networking with each other as peers. And what they're able to do is to do deals, to work on integrations and get the lie of the land on the global recruitment landscape. They're able to do that without the distraction of TA people in the room because those are customers. And when our customers in the room, they get all your attention. So at our events, mm -hmm. you don't have that distraction. But what you're doing is you're speaking with other technology companies in the TA space. Love it. And I do want to call out and thank you. Myself and Shelly were in the top 100 talent acquisition thought leaders just recently. Mm -hmm. We were very proud to be recognized. We've been named another well list, deserved. but this is the list that I was the most proud of. It's the one when we got in that I texted Shelly right away. I'm like, we've made it. We've made it. Well, the, the thing is what you've achieved with this podcast and what you've done through the years, but with this podcast for 300 episodes is really something. And it's a learning experience every time we're talking about people listening to podcasts while they're traveling. I was on a motorbike this morning listening to the latest podcast and it's great. It's very easy to listen to and you absorb the information really easily. So it's great to hear. Well, I appreciate that feedback and it's been a journey, but I think the biggest thing about this podcast was we wanted to learn more and bringing in people such as yourself that in 
the real world would be really tough to be like, hey, can I have an hour from your time compared <laughs> to you sharing this knowledge to an audience? And we learning at the same time is really the value for us. I want to jump into the technology side of talent acquisition. So you've been doing this for a little while as you just went through your journey in talent acquisition. You even sold fax machines before. And funny enough, Shelly used to recruit <laughs> at fax machines during the day. But looking at talent acquisition right now and looking at it 20 years ago, how much has technology affected what we do in talent acquisition? So all the things that you imagined could be possible 20 years ago. Lots of them are possible now. You know, when you see old shows of Star Trek and they've got the, the communicator, they're being transported up, up, up the ship and so on. Yeah. So a lot of that technology was pure fantasy at the time. And a lot of it has come around to be true, not the transportation part, but the communication tools. And because we're in the information business, we're not really in the people business, I always say. And I love the interviewing and the people side of it, but we're in the information business and managing to gather up as much information as possible to identify candidates from huge data sets, find people, contact them, and then, of course, get them matched with companies and employers and so on. Communications and the movement of that data is what it's all about. And the technology that has made that possible is, well, it's the internet, it's email, it's all of the platforms that we have that we can be messaging each other. So that's the biggest difference in all these years. And there are lots of associated technologies that go along with it. I did want to ask a question. I'm going off script here, Stephen, but I really want to know, because you and I have probably been in industry about the same amount of time. But do you remember a moment where you thought this is going to change everything? And what was it? Oh, yes, actually, there's a couple, but there's one that comes to mind straight away. And just to put a date on it, I started in recruitment in 1987. As I say, I was 21. Okay, and you win. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that's a little bit before you. But I'm considerably older than everyone else here. There was a moment. So I did a bit of work about six years ago for a company called Pocket Recruiter. And Pocket Recruiter is an AI-based search and matching tool. Now, at that time, no one was talking about AI. No one was talking about machine learning. It, it was a very nebulous term, but I was shown what Pocket Recruiter did. And, and what it did was it learned from the activities of recruiters that were using the tool. So you could search through the databases of candidates on multiple job boards, on LinkedIn, on your own database. It used AI to match every single word on a candidate's resume to every single word on the job spec. And it learned through your selection. So when you chose... 20 candidates from the 100 that came up in the search results. If you then submitted 10 of them, then had five of them interviewed and ultimately one was hired, then each step of that process told Pocket Recruiter what good looked like. And uh, it learned from that. So the next time you went back to carry out a search, it was better informed. It was building a stack of learned knowledge of what good looks like for you for this type of vacancy. And it learned new technology terms and when they came up on resumes and job specs and so on. At the time, I looked at it and I thought, oh, hold on a second. Stop the bus. Everything's going to change right now. This is going to be revolutionary. So many people will not be necessary anymore and everyone will find the right job or the right job will find everyone in the click of a finger. It's often the case though, unfortunately, that you find something you think is going to change everything. Like going back to 2000 job boards and the internet, how that worked then. I expected that overnight everything would change. But of course, there's a built-in inertia to any change happening in this business. Some companies, some people go very fast and others drag their feet. And uh, the aggregate of that is what we end up with. 
I'm glad that you brought in AI. AI is obviously the biggest buzzword in our industry right now. Is there someone that you'd be like, they're going to win this race when it comes to AI? Well, so with my cynical hat on, and I'm in Scotland, so that's my default. But with my cynical hat on, I would say, unfortunately, and I wish it wasn't the case, but unfortunately, I, th I do think that employees, job seekers, candidates will be the losers in the short term with AI, simply because they don't have access okay. to the tools and the data sets that large employers have with the technology that they have to hand. So AI absolutely can give job seekers a far better candidate experience. It can make them feel as if they're propelled through the recruitment process in a more logical, warm, and friendly way. And one of the biggest complaints that, of course, that candidates have in the application process is that they're left in the dark for too long. So AI can absolutely mm -hmm. help with that. But what I would love to see are more tools that were available for job seekers to use that they can be uh, exerting themselves, that they can be asserting what they want through the use of AI. So if there was an ATS for candidates, for example, that could manage all of your applications to all of the vacancies, if that ATS could also use AI to predictively match you to employers that are likely to be interested, not only people who have worked for the companies you've worked for with the qualifications that you have, but also with the experience and the skills that you have and the interests that you have. So you might well be an accountant living in Aberdeen who likes to do creative work on the weekends, does a variety of other things. I would like a predictive AI tool that said, well, actually, Stephen O'Donnell, we recommend you go and speak with these companies because we can see from the profile of people who have worked in the past, and we've learned that from LinkedIn, that you would be very much of interest to them. And that really helps not only someone on career-wise to the company that they might have already been thinking about, but it helps in switching industry to a company that you'd never heard of, to a company that actually could really use your skills and you hadn't considered before. It's funny you say that because I actually just saw a post, I think it was on TikTok, that went through 20 different AI tools for job seekers. And there was a lot more than I expected. There's actually one that's yep. like mm -hmm. a tracker, right? That's yep. tracking where you've applied and keeping on top of it. But I have some concerns around it. So one of the tools that I saw is basically you apply to 100 jobs in 10 minutes and it just continuously applies to oh, jobs. Yes. What's going to happen is actually going to make it a worse candidate experience. So working in a yeah. job board and seeing what our clients are seeing, mm -hmm. some jobs they get one applicant, but the other job they get 600. And just how do you go through it? How do you know that yeah. these are good candidates? Those types of tools really concern me. What's your thoughts on it? So ease of application, I do think is very important. If you don't have ease of application, then you're leaving it to the candidates who are most determined to make an application. And when you're looking to attract people who are maybe only vaguely interested in your company, they're maybe unhappy in the job where they are right now, then they're just going to opt out of the process if you're asking them to jump through hoops in order to get there. But yeah, you say one click and you've applied, then perhaps that's too easy. But with each vacancy, you would have to gauge, well, how much do we need the candidates to prove themselves to want this job? But there are ways in which you can change the application process to have candidates more accurately self-select themselves. So if you use video in the application process to put out not only the employer brand message that you have, but the specific vacancy, you've got the hiring manager on screen. So I was doing work with Video My Job a few years ago, and one of their clients, yeah. Siemens, they found that when they use video in job adverts, that the measurable caliber of candidates who applied went up by about 180%. Now, that sounds too much of a number. That sounds like a, a crazy increase, but it came from two things. The candidates who 
shouldn't be applying were realizing that's not the job for me and weren't applying. You know, yeah. They were more accurately self-selecting themselves out. And the candidates who were never going to apply before, who maybe had preconceptions about an organization and had decided, well, that's not the company for me, they were seeing the hiring manager, they were relating to the person on screen and thinking, oh, actually, I could work there. I can relate to that environment. I'm going to make an application. So the caliber went up. One other really interesting thing was that they found that for engineering roles, twice as many women were applying. And that's an amazing step forward. They had a far richer seam of candidates to consider, and not necessarily a bigger volume, but much more profitable from a candidate searching point of view. What I'm getting from that is one of the challenges that job seekers are trying to apply to hundreds and thousands of jobs using AI tools, but a way that an organization can really solve that issue is having a process that is filtering just the candidates that are willing to take that few extra minutes. Yeah. Back to that video side of things. Companies are often asking candidates to submit video applications these days. They're asking you to record yourself on video. Why are you interested in this job? What are your plans for the future? And so on. If they don't use video beforehand, then they haven't started the conversation. They've given the candidates an email or a job advert that's just black text on a white screen, and they're asking candidates to start the conversation on video. If they really want candidates to do it, then they have to give them video. First of all, they begin the conversation and it's then a more natural back and forward. So if you want candidates to to engage with you on video, then do it yourself first. Yeah, we have a lot of thoughts around video, right, Shelley? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I call myself the lone wolf over here in North America. (laughs) I have always said that one-way video interviews, I think it's now been called the corporate tender. Yes, And I've always known that's where one-way video interviews were going because there's no one on the face of this earth that's going to sit down and watch 150 five-minute videos unless they're scrolling like Tinder. Oh, I don't like that person. It is the ultimate recipe for bias, period. Mm. Absolutely. And and I'll I'll leave it on that note because our audience knows I have a bit of a rant when it comes to (laughs) one-way video interviews. But I do want to come back to, if I could, Stephen, Mm because you touched on something that when you said it, I felt like a jolt of electricity <laughs> go <laughs> right through my arm. When you talked about your history, you talked about the fact that nobody was doing this aggregate. Tell me why has nobody invented the other side of the matching the candidate to the company? I think it would be great. In fact, I was looking at a company earlier today called Teal. Now, I'm saying the name. I haven't really researched them properly, so I don't want to go on about them too much. But they seem to be doing that As far as I can tell, when you have a service for candidates, then it has to be paid for by someone. It's commercially unviable because candidates come onto the job market maybe once a year, maybe once every couple of years. They'll be job searching for a month or two. They find the job and that's it. So to build them for a product that they use for a short period of time where they need to learn how to use the product in the first place, it's not the same as selling an ATS to someone in TA who's going to be using it for the, their entire career, or at the very least using tools like that for their whole career. It's hard to do. One thing I tried to do with all jobs was have my all jobs, which would be exactly that, where you would have your profile in there, you would have your applications in there, you would mm. be managing who you'd applied to, who replied back to you, your calendar of appointments and the research that you had done in those companies and the research that you'd done on the people in that company, such as the hiring manager, the CEO, all of those things, being able to manage those under one roof. And at the time, my thinking was, well, when someone changes jobs, then 
they spend a disproportionate amount of money on things like relocation, on cars, on houses, on insurances, and so on. But again, no one's really been able to crack that, and I certainly wasn't at the time. I think yeah. it's an essential service, but I can't think yeah. of a way in which you could make it work commercially. Do you know, mm. I'd, I'd always thought, Stephen, the company who's in the best position to do it is LinkedIn. Yep. Because although job seekers come on and off the market, what you have is a live database of profiles. And LinkedIn is in the ultimate position to do it. Because even though you say you're not actively looking, what we know, as sure as all three of us are sitting here, is that everyone is always mm -hmm. looking. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you bother being on LinkedIn? Is there a feature that you could think of that LinkedIn could apply that would make LinkedIn 10 times better? Can you think of a, a feature that you just think, oh, that would be really cool if they would just do this one thing? Yes. So I, I, should, I should be asking provide, questions here. Yeah, provide the recommendations. That's why I felt electrocuted when you, yeah. when you said that in a positive way. But yeah. Shelly, when I put my profile, LinkedIn recommends jobs for me automatically. Isn't that what you're talking about? No, no, no. I'm saying it's like next level. Because LinkedIn's never got it right when mm. it comes to recommendations. Neither has Indeed. Nobody's got that correct. No. But if you had AI that would match me, not only am I a cultural fit, but I'm a skill fit. Mm. Because skills is easy. It's word matching, right? It's not that advanced to match mm -hmm. the words on my resume to the words on your job description. You know, I'm talking about a match for the company's culture and a so match for the type of work and environment that I want to work in. What LinkedIn have is an enormous patchwork quilt of where people are, where they've been, and are able to predict from that where they're likely to go or where they should be considering yeah. going. Now, it maybe wouldn't work for everyone, but most people, as a recruitment consultant, I would know when a candidate came in and I'd registered them, I would know, okay, there's a likelihood of maximum 10 companies this person could go and work for. And they probably know the same companies themselves didn't like to apply directly. But LinkedIn will have all the data that says, someone who's worked in this role in IBM for three years, there's a good likelihood that these 10 companies would be interested in that person. And these 10 companies, this candidate is not aware of. And they've been able to make recommendations based on that. And it might be as simple as just company name and job title and tenure. But LinkedIn has the ability to read the data that's in the content of your LinkedIn profile and make more sense of that using AI. I want to jump on another topic. One that I've been following really close is the gig freelance economy. It's having a huge impact and I think it will continue. Yeah. But looking at companies like Fiverr and Upwork, where they're going is almost going to be a direct competition to job boards right now. What's your take on the Fiverrs and the Upwork of the world? So I've personally used people through those sites myself over the years, up to the pandemic then that was a relatively minor player in, in the scheme of things. It was a, a source that was on tap for anyone who wanted it. And I remember writing about this just as we all went into shutdown in the pandemic. There are several things that are going to happen. The bonds between employees and their employers, employees and their colleagues are going to be weaker than ever. People will be more susceptible to working elsewhere. People will be getting used to working remotely. If they're working remotely, then they could be anywhere. If they could be anywhere, then... When you're applying for remote jobs, then you're competing with people who are literally anywhere. They could be in India, in Australia, they could be on a beach in Madagascar. Whenever the workforce is as spread out as that globally, then the power goes 
to the employer who has the job and away from the employees who are able to assert themselves. What's happened, one of the things I was predicting would happen is that jobs are being redesigned for remote work, for more siloed work. If you took the job of, say, a design engineer, if that design engineer had 10 tasks in a day that this person was responsible for, if you take those 10 tasks and you say, well, three of these, we're going to ask you to do these and ignore the other seven, we'll get someone else to do those, then you're much more commodified and you can be switched for someone else globally much more easily like a Lego brick. You're just another brick in the wall in that sense. And you're not that three-dimensional character that the company relies upon in the way that it did before. So a lot of jobs are going back to locations and going back to work. And one of the other things that I thought would happen is that rather than having huge offices in the middle of city centres, companies are having distributed smaller centres in locations that are near where people live. So people are able to leave home to go and work there, but they're not commuting into London or New York or whatever the big city centre is, but they're going somewhere more locally. They have a sense of camaraderie with people that they work alongside, but also company has that flexibility and they don't have the cost that goes along with having a big office in city centres. But as I say, the jobs are being redesigned so that they are much more modular and that you can take them out and, and replace them much more easily. So getting back to what you're saying about Upwork and Fiverr and so on, the nature of what those are is you give a project to someone, I want this report written, I want this data analyzed. If I give you 10,000 candidates, I want you to enter them on this database. Then that's very transactional. And when you have that, you don't have loyalty to your employee. Your employee doesn't have loyalty to you. People are likely to chain work on a more frequent basis. And it's going to be more common that people have multiple jobs at the same time. And again, going back to people being able to collectively organize as employees within a company and push for better conditions, better salary, and so on, then they're not able to do that. It's definitely happening, but I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. And I think in the long run, I don't think it's good for employers. Google used to do a thing years ago, I don't know if they still do it, or at least they talked about it a lot, where someone was working five days, but on the fifth day, they were encouraged to do something else other than their core work. They had a side project or something. And a big proponent of when you have a full-time job that's Monday to Friday, nine to five, there's a chunk of that time that's just thinking time, that's just considering your job, your responsibilities, the people that you work alongside, the people you work for, or maybe the staff that work for you. When you have everything in a much more modular way of working and transactional, then every single hour that you're working, you're being paid for, but you have no time for that extra thinking time. And I think that's really valuable to employers, the the grease on the wheels, that when they're coming up with new products, when they're coming up with new ways of doing things, when their staff are not pushed to work every minute of the day, but they have a bit of wiggle room. in in what they do. And it might be the water cooler moments. It might be going for lunch with colleagues. But these things, there's a real value in them. And it would be a shame to lose. Mm. And if you can do that virtually with people who are working remotely, if you can find a way to do that, I think that's fantastic. Great perspective. Yeah, that is a wonderful perspective because I know you're absolutely right. Is the greatest inventions and innovations have come from, well, let me think about it versus just do this task. You know, there's such a focus on the skills, but I think there's another big element in talent acquisition, and that is finding the culture 
that you want to be part of. One point that rolls on from that, and it's very relevant to recruitment technology, is that lots of recruitment technology that's being sold, the pitch in the sale is that this will save you time and money, and you'll have more time to do the high-touch things with candidates and with clients and with hiring managers. When in practice, the person who's buying the technology is thinking, Actually, we could just up the number of vacancies that a talent acquisition person is working on. Maybe with the best intentions, they plan to do that quality stuff, but they get another 10 or 20 or 50 vacancies put on the desk because they've now got the capacity to Mm -hmm. handle more. So the technology does really help in terms of capacity, but there's still a point where someone will be overloaded. Love it. I want you to take out your crystal ball. Want to look at the rest of 2023. We've had a very volatile couple of years in talent acquisition, and we are dealing with two different economies where some there's enough candidates and some there's definitely talent scarcity. But yeah. looking at the rest of the year, what do you think is going to happen? Is the labor market going to shift? So it's a difficult question because, of course, in different countries and in different industries and in yeah. different states within those countries, there will be shifts. If you're working in the hotel industry, catering or, or manufacturing, you'll have so many differences and swings between them. And you could have colleagues in a bar at night who work in different sectors, and one says everything's up, and the other one says, well, everything's down. So there's no normal anymore. There's no consistency. <laughs> the pendulum is swinging, and the only certainty is that when it swings one way, it'll come back again at some point. But the companies in technology who are trying to have a handle on things are working like crazy to understand the landscape that's out there and what they can do to provide a service that's valuable and to provide a service that, that people feel comfortable or even delighted in using. There's a lot of investment going on right now. There's a lot of companies who are deploying all manner of AI tools into what they had before that might have been very programmed and logical bits of software before that you do this, it does that. But when you put Mm. AI into the mix, then it's got a, a cleverer way of assessing what your needs are. And incidentally, the AI that we have been deployed right now, those tools have been available for the past six years. It's just that the public is becoming aware of them. But so many companies are now using their imagination to think of new ways in which we can be using AI and new ways in which the needs of candidates and and employers can be met. When you think about it, and this sounds like a kind of asinine thing to say, but I've always said it, there are only three things in recruitment, a job, an employer, and uh, an employee. When you bring those three things together, that's the magic. All of the other stuff is just how you make that happen. And if you're interested in people, if you're interested in the work, then it shouldn't be hard to do that. People often go on about how difficult it is to find candidates. It's really not. There's big lists of candidates all over the internet. It's not hard to find them. People are more visible now than they have ever been. So finding candidates is not difficult. Persuading candidates to consider your job as a viable opportunity, that's the hard part. And when when companies say, oh, we can't hire these days, it's too hard, well, maybe they're not paying enough. Maybe your company doesn't have a reputation that attracts people to come and work there. Maybe people are leaving in their droves. The candidates are available. The candidates are findable. Good employers are finding great people, and great people are staying with good employers. Amen to that. Stephen, such a pleasure having you on the show. There's a couple things coming up. TA Tech Europe, December 4th and 6th. It's in London, I believe, right? And this might be an announcement a little bit early, but TA Tech next year is going to be in Washington, D.C. I don't have the dates, but I was messaging with Peter, and we potentially are going to be hosting podcasts 
oh, live there at TA Tech. So we're pretty excited about that. That'd be brilliant. And if anyone wants to get a hold of you, Stephen, and also to get a hold of TA Tech, what's the easiest yep. way? Every single social media platform, you'll, you'll find me under the exact same username, Stephen O'Don, with two ends in the end. So Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, the whole thing. I'm very approachable. A lot of people think, oh, no, he's, he's going to be too busy. I love speaking with people. As I say, I'm a born nosy parker. So anyone who wants to make contact, then please, it would make my day. One thing you didn't mention there, on the 6th of December is also the National Online Recruitment Awards, the 23rd National Online Recruitment Awards. And okay. also... I'll be speaking at Wreckfest in Nashville in September. I think it's on the 14th, 15th of, of September. So I'll be there for that if anyone's keen to come along. We will see you there because we will be at Wreckfest. So excited to meet you face-to-face. Again, Fantastic. Stephen, this was tons of fun. The perspective and the info that you shared, very useful. So thanks for coming on the Recruitment Flex. Thank you. It's an absolute And we'll pleasure. see you in Nashville, Stephen. Absolutely. Thank I'll buy you, you a drink. Yeehaw. <laughs> Shelly, let's face it, texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, this is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analysts at Chiffre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics than hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.